At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. It is no secret to anybody, either your first-time listener or long-time habitual listener, that hospital bills are mysterious, to use a gentle word to describe them. We've heard a lot of different ways to describe them in the past. It's uh, usurious is, is, is one. Um, predatory can be another one. Opaque is another way to put it nicely. There is a ton of confusion around hospital bills, the prices and the services that are actually included. And it's almost like you're reading a different language when you see these bills because there's a flurry of them that come to you. Working to help alleviate the strain and the stress that those hospital bills and the pricing and the confusion cause amongst the vast majority of the American public who are unfortunate enough to use those systems is Goodbill. So please welcome Patrick Haig, co-founder and CEO of Goodbill to the show. Patrick, thanks for joining us and, and thanks for helping us navigate a relatively, uh, it's not even relatively, you know, I, I kind of catch myself being nice, but this is a confusing, opaque, mysterious scary conversation. And I'm curious, right off the bat, like you you obviously have a motivation for starting this company, wanting to go out there. What was that case that sticks in your mind that's like, you know what, I'm doing good in the world because I was able to help this person overcome this particular number or this confusion with a healthcare, with, with a hospital bill? Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Chris. I think one thing is that when people read stories in the newspaper about outrageous hospital bills, typically it's the outrageous hospital bills, right? It's like the, I was charged 100K and I'm on the hook for 80K of it or something like that. I actually think what's more terrifying is the the ordinary and a bit of the boring, the more like routine, right? Like I went to the ER and I'm your typical American. I have a high deductible plan. My deductible is six grand, maybe it's seven grand. And I go, I spend maybe three to four hours there and I come out and my bill's six grand. And... The reason I think that's terrifying is because it's the most common. It's like the most common base case. So we had one one case that sticks out was a sister helping her brother with her bill. And um, he'd gone in for some, some mental health issues uh, to the ER, but it was all under control. And without going like really deep on in the, into the weeds of like how ER billing works, it's based off of severity. And that's what drives a lot of the cost. And we took this bill down to the most granular review and able to save them drop it over 60% because it turns out actually like the coding, the leveling was incorrect. That is the level of granularity. You kind of have to take it that we do not want or expect your average American to have to know. 
it's just ridiculous. So I think like all those kind of factors of high deductible plans, high prices, opaque esoteric billing, it just all snowballs into this terrible patient experience. I think there's a lot of people listening or shaking their head, be like, yeah, no kidding, guys. Like it, it's a horrible, horrible experience. And I think you're spot on too, because everybody, everybody's looking at that grand slam that, you know, someone's charged a quarter million dollars in a natural childbirth or something just outrageous. And it comes down to like, oh, they, there was one number in insurance billing code that was off. But I, I think you're spot on. Like think of how many people out there run into an ER and urgent care even though they, you know, they, they probably shouldn't for a vast majority of, of issues and they come out and don't know the prices, you know, they don't, they don't understand what's going on. It's almost like, it's almost like a death by a thousand cuts, but all these things add up to just create massive amounts of cost and stress. I'm curious, what have you guys found when you're doing this as far as, you know, medical debt, how many, how many people in the U S are affected that, you know, if they would have just called, picked up the phone and called you guys, they wouldn't be in a certain financial situation. Tens of millions of people. Uh, I mean, medical debt is what the, the driving cause of bankruptcy. I think it's over two thirds of Americans hold some kind of medical debt. Um, I don't know how to just, you know, disambiguate that from hospital debt, but it's a ton. And when you look at like the biggest driver of expense, facility fees are one of the biggest ones. So every bill is is unique. There are certain things that can be or might be wrong. And, and I also want to be clear, divorcing care from billing We've had plenty of people who were like, fantastic care, but then sticker shock on the bill. And it just seems a bit disproportionate or a bit dissonant. And then when you dig into it, you're like, yeah, it, that sounds about right. Which is always an interesting point because, you know, we hear people rail against, you know, U.S. healthcare, And we always say it's most expensive without the outcomes. And I'm sitting here saying, well, I, I agree with you. Like, let's let's divorce these two things because I can't name another country in the world that if my life was on the line, I'd be like, fly me to Greece right. for the doctors, fly me to Tanzania. Right. I'm like, no, no, no. I want the U.S. doctors here. But it's the payment aspects of it. It's the billing side of it that leads to all these problems. I think it's really a phenomenon that people equate those in their minds. Do you, are there any moments like light bulbs come in when you're dealing with people where you're like, yeah, we have the best physicians. They don't always know the prices, which is a whole nother problem over here. But do you have that light bulb come on when you're talking to patients and helping them through that realizes, you know, it's not the healthcare, it's the business model behind it? Yeah, um, it's typically when we get a bill and from a coding and clinical perspective, it's totally right, right? It's like proper coding, exactly what happened and it was all clinically indicated. But you know, the one thing that's out of whack is pricing. And so it has, it, it like begs the question and the conversation around, well, I'm insured. Why is the bill so high? And having to tell someone, you know what, your insurer's negotiated rates with that provider or that hospital are higher than cash rates. And that does not sit very well. It doesn't go over very well with people because they're like, I'm playing the game, man. Like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why am I paying more? And I have my high deductible plan. So I'm, I'm on the, like my cost share is hundred percent right now. Are you a fan of high deductible health plans? I mean, I think they're great until you need it. <laughs> well, like, uh, that's an interesting right? answer. Low, Go ahead. Yeah. Low, low premiums, which I, I get the attractiveness of it. But the moment it's like one ER visit and you're like, man, I wish my, I had my like $500 to $1,000 deductible plan. Even though like, you know, your premium is going to be skyrocketing and, and I'm, I'm sitting there kind of smiling and I'm like, okay, that was, that was kind of mean a question to ask you there, but 
I don't like high deductible health plans. I think that's the biggest farce that's been you know put on the American public in a long, long time because everyone's like, oh, you need a high deductible health plan right. because uh, you need some skin in the game. Right. Oh, yeah. We need to push more cost share on the patient, right? It's going to yeah. disincentivize seeking out care and it's going to be a good thing for everyone. It's like, turns out, actually, no, people just end up having more debt. Or people don't use it. People don't seek medical care because they can't afford it. And so I look at that as like, that is like the number one driver besides hospital pricing, right? If I got a $6,000 deductible and I got 500 bucks in savings, why am I even paying for health insurance in the first place? Pretty much just cover catastrophic, right? If something absolutely terrible hits. Yeah, but if I don't have enough money to actually hit my deductible, pay for my deductible, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I think at that point you're looking at a conversation of 6K and yeah, maybe it's a, a shades of gray, like what's 6K versus 60K? I would say a lot. Yeah. So I would still rather have a safety net, but I would agree with you. The experiment of high deductible plans does not seem to be proving out and it prioritizes short term cash flow considerations sure. versus like actual usage. Sure. Now, I want to talk about good bill. Obviously, you know, there was a reason why you went into this because there's not a lot of people that weighed into this and be like, man, I, I really am excited by looking at people's hospital bills day in, day out. Give us some background on yourself and, and why you decided to really devote your life to this to build this company. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rope my co-founder in this one because our stories are, are intertwined and have been for going on about 11 years now. We're software people. Like I started out, I dropped out of law school to join him at his first startup. And it was all just software marketing technology. You know, after selling that company and then working advertising technology further, we were both driven by like, okay, we don't know what's next, but we know we want something that has a more tangible impact. And we got to healthcare in a very <laughs> circuitous way, but it's actually funny. I, I know your audience is a, a lot of DPC fans. And our first company out of the gate, helping someone stand up a company was actually focused on helping grow DPC largely in the employer market. So how do you make DPC uh, like an employee benefit and how do you make it administratively easier for employers? And that totally opened our eyes to what at least primary care could be and what the pricing experience of a direct primary care is. We became immediate patients of it. I'm a patient of it right now. My wife is, my kids are, my co-founder is. Like It's an amazing model of care. And one of its beauties, as anybody who knows anything about DPC will tell you, is this transparent pricing and like transactions are kind of cut and dry, right? Like, oh, you need your TDAP. Cool. That'll be like 30 or $40 done. Charge the card on file. Over. Clear. And that's not the case in 90 to 95% of medical billing situations. We, coming out of that, we're kind of obsessed of like, okay, we've seen how that works. And that's amazing. And we want to keep doing more of that. But how's the rest of it work? And it was honestly a little bit of just dumb luck that as we started digging into it, you had a bunch of regulations drop that started to open the kimono a bit and be like, okay, so hospital prices have to be transparent. Cool. That's a hospital price transparency final rule uh, that hit in 2020. You have the, um, the Cures Act opening up medical record that hit like 2020, but then it, it really technically hit uh, for the entire medical record, more or less electronic health information, October 2022. So now you have medical record access in a digitally native way. And then you have transparency and coverage, which is the same thing as hospital price transparency, but flipped on the health plan side. So all this data is coming out and the government's seemingly bipartisan support for it. So it's kind of not going away and it's being done in a categorically different way than it's ever been done historically. It was like, whoa, might the ingredients be coming out that could enable a product to be built to help people reverse engineer their bills and just understand them. 
because we have a crisis of confidence and trust and affordability when it comes to billing. So might this be a way to put a bit more power with patients? So like, I think that concept, it just tracks really well with like who we are and what we want to do. I mean, like a personal thing, like I just want to be able to like look at my kids and say, hey, I worked really, really hard on doing something that could have an impact like this. And then intellectually, it's just fascinating. Like you can go as deep as you want to go and there's going to be something for you. What are some common mistakes that you guys find? So I'll leave pricing aside because that's its own thing. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. But like inflated yeah. prices just based up across a, a bunch of different benchmarks that you might want to calculate. From a coding perspective, especially in the ER, you see a decent amount of uh, upcoding. And I think it's intertwined with some levels of medically unnecessary care. So like not clinically indicated by, not my opinion, but clinicians saying the standard of care literature says X in this type of situation. That all kind of feeds it, right? Because the way hospital evaluation management coding and severity coding works, it's typically based off of usage of facility resources. So like the more you use, the higher severity and the more you pay. So the more that's ordered, the more that's done, the higher severity, the more you pay. So we're just early days on the clinical side, but it's so far at least early numbers on our side, like one in four bills have something questionable from uh, it doesn't seem to be clinically indicated for at least the presenting, like the chief complainer presenting diagnosis. So one in four bills, to me, that is not random. I mean, that sounds intentional in a lot of cases. We are also very careful to not ascribe malice immediately. I think there is a lot that is just a product of the system optimizing for different things. So to give you an example, when someone presents with like chest pain, what we've learned is that there are some instances where there's kind of like in the EMR, there's like a button you click and you say, oh, this is like the chest pain order set. And when that's ordered, it's going to fire off lab orders for a bunch of different panels and, and blood tests. They may not all be something the patient needs based off of what they're presenting with other than this chest pain. Maybe it's not inappropriate for age or things like that. But it's interesting how that has second order consequences, right? Because then all of a sudden that patient is having to pay for labs that weren't necessary for helping them that day. And so that's what I mean by, by making sure we're not, we're not here to turn everyone into a boogeyman. We're just here to point out that some things don't seem to be set up correctly. So if you look at this and say, uh, hey, uh, Chris actually didn't need this test over there. What does your process look like? I, I guess let me take a step back, right? So, so I go to the hospital and I look at this bill and I'm like, this this is outrageous. This seems crazy. I don't know how to interpret this. My you know explanation of benefits, um, I think, is a boogeyman <laughs> to borrow some of your some of your nomenclature there. And you know, I call you up and say, hey, can you guys take a look at this? Walk us through that that process looks like just from a customer experience standpoint. Yeah. So you go to goodbill.com. Um, you sign up if you have. The billing records, let's say like an itemized statement with proper coding, or uh, you are the 1% of people who, for some reason, you have a copy of your UBO4 claim, which we love you for it. But let's say you sign up, you have those, you could upload those, or you could just say, hey, good bill, I want your help getting my billing records. We're going to go help you do that, which, by the way, like everyone should know you have a legal right to your billing records. So if a hospital billing department ever tells you, 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 you don't have access, we don't give that to patients. No, that's wrong. 
you have a legal right to the, those records. But we'll help you get those records. Um, it's all automated get, in terms of getting those, piping them in. We then ask for your medical record. So if you happen to have gone to a facility that uses like an Epic or a Cerner, we have an integration with that. So it's relatively easy and painless for you to give us access to that. And then we put it through a coding review and if necessary, escalated to a clinical review and pulling it all in pricing data to help benchmark based on how you charge. Does that seem reasonable or not? All of it kind of ends in a negotiation package that we then send to hospitals and then use as the, the foundation for working on patients' behalf to get them to an outcome that we think is closer to something that's fair and reasonable and accurate. So when you send those negotiations away, you're talking to the hospital or Correct. the third party that the hospital manages their billing through? Correct. Do you have any... <laughs> And this is speaking from personal experience, too, because every time we call the hospital, they're like, oh, you need to call your insurance company and talk to them about it. Yeah. Like how much back and forth or kind of kind of the, it's not necessarily a political football going back and forth, but it's this kind of pointing fingers, you know, the old Spider-Man meme that they're pointing fingers at each other. Are you able just to cut through the crap and just be like, no, 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 this is going to the hospital over here. Insurance company has nothing to do with it. Yeah. So today we don't, we don't do anything that's payer facing. So any denials of coverage or anything like that, we, we do not currently do. Um, we're trying to stay pretty focused because there, there's like, if you could quickly just drown in all of it. So it's pretty clear by, and we're very transparent and very hopefully detailed in what we're saying to the hospital say, no, 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 no. This is what we think is wrong. And for these reasons. And so we're requesting this type of reduction. So I think it's pretty clear from the hospital perspective of like why we're talking to them. How successful are those negotiations? More than you'd think. I'll say a majority of the time we're successful in, in getting some kind of reduction for a customer, which is shocking when you think about it. Yeah, I've kind of put myself in the in the shoes of that hospital admin or some of the billing specialist. And, you know, they come across and see this and be like, yep, OK, that number sounds good. And it, it's frustrating because it's hard to say like, well, why wasn't this the price beforehand? What what are you doing here? How many people go out there and just write them a check on these inflated prices or incorrect coding and incorrect billing? And I I just I, I shake my head when I when I think about it. And it's like Yeah. You kinda wish it was done a little bit more up front. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. That'd yeah. be nice, I think, for everybody yeah. involved, right? I think it would save some stress on patients' behalf. Like, I will never be the one to say healthcare uh, medical billing is simple. It's not. And it also drives another frustration that, you know, I was asked this during an interview once. He said, he said, Chris, you know, what you guys are doing at Freedom HealthWorks and the DPC world, if you had an education strategy to tell everybody, you know, something and you had like a billboard to do it, right? What would you put on the billboard? And my response was, just ask the price. Yeah, And it's amazing because people will ca- talk to me and, and say, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, I got to go see a specialist or whatever it is. Fine. DPC is not right for me. Okay. I'm not going to you know try to, sit, to sell you on all the great things about it. But I go, next time you go in there, just ask the price. And I can't tell you how many people fail to do that. People that are friends of mine, people that are family, they're like, yeah, I know you said this and I was about to, but I got really nervous. I got really scared. I did, I, and, and it was almost embarrassing. Where the hell does that come from in your experience? Why are we so hesitant to ask pricing up front when it comes to healthcare? For personal experience, I think what it is 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 a certain level of fear and respect of the like it, it's so out of my expertise. Who am I to question what you right. doctor are ordering for me or think I need to do? 
and it's also just a foreign consumer behavior, right? Like we've never been trained to ask for prices, right? It's like typically, oh, no, no, insurance will cover it. No, no problem. Like we're, we're, we're done with that. That's a new emerging requirement. And it's funny, like, you, yeah, pre-procedure, ask the price. And we see that all the time, like with people with their ER bills, they say, had I known this is what they were doing and this is what they were ordering, I would have been like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want that. Or can you tell me more about that? Or yeah, how much is that roughly going to cost? I think the truth is, though, if you ask the physician, you're probably going to get them and be like, uh, I don't, I don't really know. Which, and I love that because, you know, if I'm a doc and I, anybody's asking me five times a day, how much is going to cost? I'm probably going to go get prepared next time that question comes. I'm going to go start digging. And yeah. I think most physicians are going to be pretty blown away by what they find. They're going to, oh my God, wait, hold on. You're saying every single CT scan I order is uh, the list price is like 12 grand or the negotiated rate's like three grand. I might be a little more hesitant. Maybe. Right? That's, a, that's a theory. Maybe. Right. Yeah. And the whole thing of, well, I'm going to provide the best care. I'm going to make sure that somebody doesn't die, you know, on doing it and yeah. go this route. And there's a plenty of, plenty of, of separation between, you know, life and death in, in medical matters. But I, I try to reinforce the doctors that, you know, sending somebody into bankruptcy is not good for their health either. That's not going to be the best care plan. No. The amount of stress and anxiety that some of these people are under, especially with the, the collection efforts on hospital parts, some people are getting calls every other day. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're in their normal billing cycles. They're not even in like, you know, the typical 120 day outside of that 120 day statement cycle. Oh yeah. And then they say, Hey, let's, uh, let's settle this million dollar, uh, hospital bill and let's put you on a three-year payment plan. You're like, wait, what are you even, yeah. are you even thinking about what you're saying right now? Right. Like one, one outrage story that I have that's still, still in progress is a customer who uninsured went to a hospital, went to the ER. I think right before discharge, they asked him, Hey, you know, if you're willing to pay this amount up front, we'll reduce your bill by 60%. And he's like, okay, that sounds good, of course. He was otherwise, I think, looking at about a $17,000 bill because he's uninsured, so he's, he's largely getting sticker price. And I don't know why they did not apply the cash rates. So he pays. He goes out. He's left with like a four or five grand balance. He signs up with good bill. Obviously, we want to get to the bottom of this. So the first thing, we request billing records. He is entitled legally to those things. They are required by law to comply with that. For some reason, he gets a billing statement the next month that is back to 15k and obviously he's super stressed out he's freaking out we engage with the hospital say hey it seems like a administrative error on your end and they say yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to put in a supervisor request so that they can modify the balance back down just reaches back out hospital called him said the the balance is back up uh, for some reason that request didn't go through and hey would you be willing to settle for this amount that is, in fact, higher than what he initially agreed to in the first place. So I think there's something interesting going on at some hospitals and some health systems collection efforts that are just not what you would really uh, pair with a hospital's mission. Yeah, yeah. Do you see, I'm curious on this one, um, we hear a lot of debate about nonprofit and for-profit hospitals and states are struggling with it. Do you see any patterns or any differences in billing practices between nonprofit hospitals and for-profit hospital systems? Well, quantitatively, it seems like some for-profit centers will actually give more on pricing than nonprofits, oddly enough. Now, nonprofits are required by the IRS to maintain their 501c3 to, to maintain financial assistance programs. And so that, that is one avenue of that. But we've seen from a negotiation perspective, for-profits are typically more willing to, That's interesting. to just... Yeah, it is, it is kind of a fascinating dynamic. 
you always hear about your friendly nonprofit hospital out there, and it's like, well, wait a minute. So they got tax treatment and all this kind of other fun stuff, but not to go down that rabbit hole. I, I'm curious, Patrick. You know, um, as a user of DPC and obviously a believer in in you know what that model is doing, where's the next step in your mind and kind of connecting the dots of what you do for a living day to day versus what your patient experience is there? Like, how does DPC? make inroads beyond just the primary care aspects of it? And when do you think that's going to happen? Insofar as like how DPC interacts with like the broader system and how it can make an impact. Yeah. And still help changing those habits, changing those attitudes, either from a physician standpoint or a patient standpoint. Hell, you can even say like, we need direct care hospitals out there. And then, you know, that'd be a fun conversation over a couple of beers to kind of creatively uh, draw those one out, not draw that idea out. I mean, I think the centers of excellence model is, is interesting and it seems to be working fairly well from what I hear. But what I think DPC physicians could do really, really well is because DPC is predicated on, on a, a great relationship with the patient, like continuity, long times, you get to really know that person. I think it's an opportunity to help elevate your patient's knowledge of the system. And I mean that in like a few ways. Number one is just, you know, the rules, right? Like here's, here's how it's going to go. Here's what you're entitled to. Here's how pricing works. Here's how insurance works. Like I know it's like I, as a DPC physician, do not engage with the insurance system for a very intentional reason, but helping educate patients who have to, I think is one step. The second one is this price consciousness, uh, which is built into DPC, And I know this is part of the philosophy because I'm like a patient side, I'm living it, which is really second question yourself. Like, do I really need to go to the ER on this one? Obviously, there are cases where you got to go to the hospital, but being accessible gives you that way out. And we've used it like with our kids, for example, out on a vacation, like all of a sudden they get hit with something crazy. uh, And, you know, with an infant with like a a croup-like cough and our airways restricted, should we go to the ER? And DBZ was there to say, no, 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 we're, we're good. Here's what you need to do. Let me know if it gets worse. But if you do need to go, doing it in a cost-conscious way where you can help prepare the patient and also refer them to the right place with some upfront pricing knowledge, I think would be, I think, groundbreaking and, and help just streamline the patient experience beyond. So kind of extending along that question there, and this will be our last question uh, as we wrap up here and come to time here, Patrick, what are like, give me like two or three tips for somebody just to keep in the back of their mind when they do need to go experience an ER visit and there's no other choice and they're like, okay, I got to go to the hospital. I'm ready. I'm prepared. What are those tips? Yeah, I think, I mean, first it would be what you said, ask for prices. So as physicians are coming at you, as NPs or PAs or nurses are coming at you about like, hey, we want to do these things, really ask questions of like, why do you want to do those things? Like, what is it about me that that's telling you that that's, what's that going to tell you? And I think that might help curb a little bit of overzealous or perhaps more like CYA type ordering. Ask prices is a really interesting one of just ask how much it's going to cost and maybe they'll give you a, a ballpark. And then after procedure, Always ask for an itemized bill with coding, with coding. Many, many, many hospitals do not issue itemized bills, number one, unless you request it. But number two, most importantly, with usable codes, they'll typically give you an internal procedure ID or charge code. And that's, you got to go really, really chase some stuff down to, to get anything. So I think it's just going with that, showing the hospital like, hey, I'm going to be a really informed patient and I appreciate the care, but I'm, I'm obviously going to go in open-eyed. Patrick Haig, co-founder, CEO of Goodbill. I've enjoyed this conversation, Patrick. Thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Thanks for having me, Chris. 
That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes, subscribe to our mailing list, and visit our fantastic online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient's employer or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.